Hi everyone! If you told me even a few weeks ago, uh, before lockdown, that I'd be preaching from a bus stop, I'm not sure I would have believed you. But here we are, and here I am, beginning a new series and a new season in the life of Wellspring Church as we build on all that we're learning about prayer, about pressing into God. We're, we're building all of that, and we're beginning today, at the beginning of June, to think about waiting. How are you with waiting? You see, there, there's some things for us to explore in terms of what the Bible says about the agony and the pain of waiting, waiting for God. Uh, the Bible talks about waiting on God. Or maybe it's God who's waiting for us. You see, we all have experiences of waiting and it's often a painful thing. We wait for many things that seem to take forever. You might be right now waiting for me to finish this sentence. See how painful that was? And it was just a sentence. But many of us are crying out to God for much bigger things than that. And he seems to be taking longer than we would want. We're going to explore that today and over coming weeks. And my prayer is that you'd be encouraged and challenged that we'd all grow and become a church even more that knows how to wait on the Lord. As we've already heard in our memory verse for June, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. What, do, what does that really mean? And before we get into the word, I want to uh, give a specific word and let you know that uh, as I've been praying about today's message, particularly in my mind, I've had uh, a picture in my mind of a lady uh, with dark hair, you're sitting, in the shadows in quite a dark room. I can't see any features of your face, but I know that you're there and I believe you're watching now. And actually you are living in the agony of sitting and waiting. And it feels like you've been waiting for God forever. And I wanna bring you a word of encouragement. You're not on your own and the Lord hears. And I wanna to say to all of you who are watching, who are in that place of sitting and waiting, I believe this word is gonna encourage you and bring encouragement to the people around you. So if you're sitting and waiting and God seems to be doing nothing, guess what? You are in great company. The first person I want to mention is King David. Now, he was known as being someone who had a heart after God's own heart. But not all of his psalms were full of uh, kind of sunshine and daisies. Some of them were written in great turmoil. In Psalm 69, when David is surrounded and challenged by his enemies, he says this in Psalm 69, verse 1. He says, Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. You see, King David knew what it was to wait and travail and wait for God to rescue him. In fact, he goes on in the middle part of Psalm 69 to say some words that Jesus, centuries later, would quote in the temple in Jerusalem. But this is what David wrote, and he says this from verse 9. Passion for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I weep and fast, they scoff at me. When I dress in burlap to show sorrow, they make fun of me. 
I am the favourite topic of town gossip and all the drunks sing about me. But I keep praying to you, Lord, hoping this time you will show me favour. In your unfailing love, O God, answer my prayer with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. Save me from those who hate me and pull me from those deep waters. Don't let the floods overwhelm me or the deep waters swallow me or the pit of death devour me. Then he says this, answer my prayers, O Lord, for your unfailing love is wonderful. Take care of me, for your mercy is so plentiful. Don't hide from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in deep trouble. Come and redeem me. Free me from my enemies. Isn't it encouraging to know that in the, the beauty of the Psalms, we find someone who also is with us waiting for God's rescue. He says, come and redeem me, free me from my enemies, answer me quickly. You know, it wasn't just King David. In fact, uh, many, many generations later, Isaiah the prophet also knew what it was to travail and to wait and to sit in apparent silence waiting for God. Many times Isaiah was used by God as his mouthpiece of God's voice to the people. But we read towards the end of the book of Isaiah, we read Isaiah's travail towards God, his longing for God to intervene. And at the end of chapter 63 of Isaiah, uh, remember Isaiah's in Jerusalem, the Assyrian armies have already taken the northern kingdoms and they're making their way throughout the whole of Judah. And Isaiah is in Jerusalem and I imagine even as he prays this prayer we're going to read in a moment, he's surrounded by the temple which has been burnt down and he's maybe looking over the ruin of the enemy succeeding against God's people and listen to the cry of Isaiah's heart. He says this in Isaiah 63 verse 17, Lord, why have you allowed us to turn from your path? Why have you given us stubborn hearts so we no longer fear you? Return and help us, for we are your servants, the tribes that are your special possession. How briefly your holy people possessed your holy place, and how now our enemies have destroyed it. Sometimes it seems as though we never belonged to you, as though we'd never been known as your people. Then these famous words at the beginning of chapter 64, Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence as fire causes wood to burn and water to boil. Your coming would make the nations tremble. Then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. Oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. Isaiah is calling out to God. He says, God, we're in trouble. Look, your city is in trouble. Your people in trouble. And it says, Isaiah is saying, look, you've got the power and I know you're good, Lord. So where are you? Have you ever felt like that? having prayed your prayers. Remember, we looked in the last season about pausing, 
as we pray, about rejoicing and reflecting, about asking and then yielding. Once we've done all of that, often we yield and there's nothing. God, you could do something about this situation, but nothing. We sit in the silence and it's agony. I, I remember very vividly the depth of anguish that my wife Helen and I found ourselves in after, after the birth of our first child. We suffered secondary infertility. In fact, the wait for a second child was agony. And in that agony, we found ourselves calling out to God month after month after month after month. And then it became year after year. And in the middle of that period, a prophetic preacher called David Shearman, a dear friend of ours, was doing a leadership seminar. And in that leadership seminar, he was busy talking about people's stress about their children. And he turned to Helen just in the middle of a sentence and he says, it's, chill, it's child now, it will be children. And then just carried on with this talk. In that moment, we heard the voice of God saying, you will have more children. But you think the next month, then we'd fall pregnant. But no, then there was another month and another month and another month and another year before finally, in God's perfect timing, Hannah was to be born. But in the pain and the agony of waiting in the silence, I want you to know I know how that feels. And if you're sitting in the silence today, I want you to know you're in good company. The third person I want to mention is not in the Old Testament, but actually in the New. You see, in this period, uh, if you look in the page between the Old and the New Testament, it's actually 400 years where whilst God was moving around the scenes, moving behind the scenes, preparing for the Messiah to come, preparing for the gospel to be spread through the, the Roman Empire and beyond. But, but in that 400 years, God seemed to say nothing new, seemed to be doing nothing obvious. And then as we turn the pages into Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. We see him interacting with a Syrophoenician woman. So in Matthew chapter 15, we read this story. And it's a story that causes us to puzzle and wonder at the silence of God. It says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. So here is a woman who's not crying out to God for herself, but her daughter. She's a caring mother who's desperate. And there she is in the presence of Jesus. She's sitting and she's been waiting for a solution for a long time. Finally, Jesus comes where she is and she cries out to him what every mother with a demon-tormented daughter would do, cries out to Jesus, please, son of David, help. And it says in verse 23, these amazing words in Matthew's gospel, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. 
Jesus gave her no reply. It says not even a word. So this woman is in anguish and Jesus' response is not even to say anything. This is so striking that the disciples said, would you want us to send her away? And then what follows is an amazing dialogue. We won't take the time to go into that now, but I encourage you to read it. An incredible dialogue it, within which she, she goes back to Jesus again and again and calls out for his intervention. Eventually, he does respond and he brings healing to the daughter. And not only that, he commends her for her faith. He only does that one other time in the gospel, and that's for a, a Roman centurion, you know. So he commends her for her faith. But I want you to know that if you're in the waiting, and even Jesus seems to be doing nothing about your situation, saying nothing, I, I want you to bear in mind the thoughts of the great German preacher Helmut Thielicke, because he said this, he said, God's silence is not the same as our silence when something is wrong. In fact, God's holy silence, he wrote this in his book, The Silence of God. God's holy silence is not indifference. Thielicke said, there is no silence of indifference in God. There are only those higher thoughts. The Lord cares. And my encouragement to you at the beginning of this series on waiting is that you would explore more and more the, the beauty and the struggle and the wrestle and the mystery of waiting for God. And being aware that when you're waiting, you do not wait alone. You do not wait alone. Are you sitting in the silence? Uh, are you waiting? Well, my word and encouragement to you today is God's silence or apparent silence is not indifference. David experienced what you experienced. Isaiah and the whole nation of Israel experienced waiting in the silence. And even this Syrophoenician woman, this desperate mother was crying out to Jesus and in his perfect holy wisdom that we don't fully understand. He can be silent, but we do not wait on our own. His silence is not indifference. So I want to encourage you today, as you consider these things, to know that you're not on your own. I want to say to you today that you can look forward with hope. We can look forward with hope. And the reason we can look forward with hope, and this is amazing, is because we can look back at the cross. You see, the cross is God's greatest answer to our pain and agony. God is the greatest answer to our cry for help. Jesus feels our pain. Jesus feels our agony and our longing. He knows it. He experienced it himself. Even how he cried out on the cross shows that his cry was one of lament. He knows your pain. And in fact, he catches your tears. And even as I'm saying these things, and even as we continue with the rest of our time together in this service, you might find yourself feeling the agony and the pain, and maybe even the tears are falling, because you wonder when the answer is coming. And I'll tell you today, the answer is Jesus, and he catches your tears. In a few moments after a song, in a few moments, we're going to 
have the opportunity and you'll have the opportunity to give your life to Christ. You have an, answer, an opportunity as Helen leads us in prayer to say yes to Jesus, to surrender your life to him. And I'd encourage you, if you've never done that before, give it all to him. Put your trust in him. Call out to him. And before this song, I want to lead us all in a prayer. I encourage you where you are right now, where you're watching, whatever time of day it is, if you're sitting in the dark, if you're waiting in silence and even in tears, know that you can look forward with hope because we can look forward together because we look back at the cross. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we sit and as we wait, we pray God you teach us what it means to truly trust you. Teach us what it means to cast our burdens on you. Teach us what it means to wait on you and trust you, even in the agony and the silence that we experience. Lord, be with us while we're waiting. We ask this in the mighty name of the one, our Emmanuel, the one who is with us, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Remember, my friends, remember, church, that while we have been sitting and while we've been waiting, all that time we've been sitting in the shadow of the cross. <laughs>